Our world is in trouble. Society is full of noise, darkness, and distraction. Where do you go to find the hope and the strength to cope with such a mess? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Shannon L. Alders once said, One of the most important things you can do on this earth is to let people know they are not alone. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what's happening tonight? What is the topic of conversation? Well, Rick, our question is, is the Bible behind the times on hashtag MeToo? And our theme text is found in Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay, so the question, is the Bible behind the times on hashtag me too? The world has changed on every level and in every way. As those things which were hidden and covered up in our society are being revealed, we begin to see aspects of our social order in a different light. The very new social media cry of hashtag me too is a classic example of this. Never before has it been made so public the severe advantage that so many men have taken of so many women and the deep suffering that many of these women continue to carry. The social conversation that hashtag MeToo has prompted is vital and can be healing as well. Now, some questions. Where does Christianity fall in the spectrum of these events? Many say that the Bible promotes the disrespect and abuse of women, so would that make Bible-believing Christians supporters of evil? With the good that the hashtag MeToo movement brings, are there any dangers that come with it? What should we as Christians do? So, Jonathan, several things coming up in today's podcast. I just want to take a minute and go over them. First of all, coming up later on, has our culture of me brought more harassment issues or has it brought brought on a a way to confront those issues? The irony here is that it's actually done both. We'll talk about how all of this works. Secondly, our me culture really does contradict the hierarchy that God put in place for those of us who are Christian. Which way is right? Does Christianity's women submit to men add to the harassment that hashtag MeToo is speaking out about? Also coming up, will the momentum and power, with the momentum and power for potential change that hashtag MeToo has shown, are there any areas that should cause concern for those who are involved in the movement? And that's a big, big question. What areas of concern, if any, are there? Further, what are the fundamental challenges that men face regarding a culture that seems to have just accepted that men harassing or abusing women is okay? Where does change begin, and who does it begin with? But to get started, Jonathan, let's address the question of how God created us. Did he set a tone for harassment and abuse by men towards women to grow and develop? Is God responsible for the beginnings of all of this? And so, Jonathan, as you and I go through this, we have brought in 
our CQ volunteer and contributor, Julie, to be with us. Hello, Julie. How are you? Hey, very good. Very good. Hi, Rick and Jonathan. So you're here as the Me Too, hashtag Me Too expert. Well, <laughs> as a woman, I think I may, maybe could bring a, a perspective that just just two guys couldn't. Yeah, well, and that's why we insisted that you be here because, yes, just two guys can't do this. That's for sure. Well, we also, Rick, have another guest coming up in a little bit, someone who had to walk the walk through difficult times. And we'll get to that in the next segment, so that's coming up, and there's some pretty amazing stories that go with that. So let's get this started. Let's just put it out there by way of a soundbite from CBC News, hashtag MeToo's beginnings. And this is from back in October of last year when all of this was just getting started. Thousands of women are using two words on social media to identify themselves as survivors of sexual harassment and assault today. It's hashtag MeToo. Actress Alyssa Milano shared the idea on Twitter and it quickly went viral. Cheryl Brown is a social media presenter for CBC and she's been following this story. Cheryl, first of all, uh, give us the situation uh, you know, about this. What is this hashtag about? Well, as you mentioned, Alyssa Milano got the ball rolling on Sunday when she issued a tweet that she said was inspired by a friend. Uh, the post that she uh, tweeted reads, if all the women who've been sexually harassed or assaulted wrote Me Too as a status, we might give people a sense of the magnitude of the problem. So, Julie, that's where it got started back in October. Alyssa Milano was the one who, through inspiration from a friend, started this, and it just kind of caught on like wildfire, didn't it? It, it did, and, and she actually was quoting uh, a community organizer, uh, Tarana Burke, who had had coined this phrase years ago when uh, she was protesting the sexual abuse of uh, minority women who were socioeconomically disadvantaged. And it was it was a, a rallying cry for sexual abuse. And so it, it, it really caught on, and now everybody knows about it, and it's all over social media, and there's lots and lots of things that happen as a result. So we're going to get into the movement uh, and, and, and the, the positives and, and the, the, the importance of dealing with all this. But before we go there, Jonathan, let's just set some groundwork from a Christian standpoint of how God created us and what's the relationship between men and women in the beginning before sin enters, and is there some kind of um, bias even way back then? So we're just going to touch on these things. We've, we've talked about this several times before, but Genesis chapter 20, verses 20, uh, chapter 2, I'm sorry, verses 20 and 24. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Okay, so God creates Eve out of Ab Adam. But is it equal? Because it says there's no helper for him. You know, it's like, you know, when you think of a helper, you think of the person who just does the, just does the work to just mop up behind you. That's what it <laughs> kind of sounds like. So anyway, go ahead. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay, now that's a beautiful verse that talks about the sanctity of marriage. And, and you know, we, we, we often quote that verse. And, but what about this helper thing? What does helper mean? Is it somebody who's less experienced, uh, somebody with less authority, someone who's inferior? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. 
What's well, Rick, that? it means to help or succor or one who helps. Okay, one who helps. So it sounds like a helper. Sounds like a lackey almost in some ways. You know? <laughs> okay, but that's not what it means. And see, here's the thing we have to understand. Let's look at that word used in a different context in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, for whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Rick, this is the same word. So if God is our helper and Eve is Adam's helper, it's identical. It is. It's the same word. So the, the, the meaning of the word does not carry with it a lackey. It doesn't carry with it an apprentice. It doesn't carry with it inferiority. What it carries with is someone to make up whatever you need having to be made up. And when God is called our helper, I'll tell you, I'm in with that. Me too. Julie? Me too. That's (laughs) ironic. (laughs) Okay. All right. No, I I just thought you had something there. Uh, You know, so God's original intent for humanity was not a relationship built around dominance of one over the other, but it was rather based on equality, mutual respect, and it was a very complementary relationship. But Jonathan, of course, the way things started is not the way things continued. What happened? Well, in Genesis 3.16, this is the punishment for disobeying and eating of the fruit. The woman um, was given pain in childbirth, yet she would still have a desire for her husband and he would rule over her. Okay, So, Uh, so, so sin is committed. And guilt is now what reigns. Now, we're not going to go through the penalties. You, you mentioned the penalty on the woman, and we're going to focus on that because part of the penalty for sin, there's plenty of penalty for the man, there's plenty of penalty for Satan, but the, the penalty of, for the woman is that the man will rule over you, okay? So in this curse on the woman, she's going to bear children in pain, and, um, you know, for anyone who's uh, a mom, you can testify to that. I'm... I'm a dad, I can testify to that, okay? <laughs> Been there, done that, glad I don't have to go through that ever again. Um, but you know, you have this sense of ruling over. Now, what does that word mean, to rule over? Well, Rick, it means to rule, have dominion, to exercise dominion. But I think another way of saying it, he was the head of the household. Okay, all right. And, and, and that ends up being an important thing. So, so um, Julie, in this, in this particular thought, you know, you're the woman here in, on this panel, and we're looking at this, and we're looking at the sin, and we're looking at the, the penalty. How, how, how does that affect you? What do you, what do you see? What, what's your response to that? Well, you know, what strikes me is that God's intent was to have two equal partners. Right. That is the ideal. That is how it was created. It was only through the introduction of sin and Satan and the curse upon man that altered that. So now the problem is we are now, I want to say stuck with, but we're kind of mired with this new concept that wasn't the original intent of God is this this hierarchy, so to speak, of serving or ruling over the other. Okay, so that presents a problem. Big that, problem in today's day. <laughs> well, yeah, and it does. And, and see, you know, let's just take a, a moment on this on this as an issue because when we look at this as an issue, and we realize that there was this sense of equality of really working together, you know, and and in that scripture where it says, you know, thus shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I mean, there's this sense 
of this 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 combining of your lives that is so solid and so permanent and so thorough that you can't get away from it. And it's a beautiful picture, but it's in light of this dominion thing. And just like anything that happens with imperfect humanity, whenever there's a way to take something and take it out of balance, guess what happens? Mm-hmm. It always ends up going out of balance. It always ends up being someplace in some, in some way wrong. And when we look at the world now 6,000 years later, now look, it didn't take long for this thing to get out of balance. In the next segment, we're going to tell a story that is horrible about how out of balance it got relatively early in relation to where we are. But the point is really simple. The point is God's intentions were for that, that equality and that, that cohesiveness, and sin screws up everything. And Rick, uh, we don't want to forget that we're having a special guest coming up the next segment. You don't want to miss it. Yeah, yeah, she's a pretty special person. Uh, I can testify to that. Uh, she's got some, uh, some in- incredible experiences that help to shed light on all of what's going on, and, and we'll get to that in just, just a few minutes here. So just, just before we wrap this segment up, I, I want to make sure that, that, that we're clear. We are operating under a faulty system now because sin rules, right? That's right. Okay. Satan has got control of this world. He's called the prince of the power of the air. And under this rule, you've got, you do have a situation where it's, it, men tend to dominate women. Do we like it? No. But because of this, is the Bible allowing it? Is it saying, hey, for the next 6,000 years of sin, it is okay for men to abuse women mentally, physically, sexually, because they are ruling over her? Well, the Bible's not saying it's okay to do that. Okay, let, let's understand. The, the dominion should be in the, in, in the context of taking care of. That's what it's supposed to be. What ends up happening to that dominion is it ends up going down these roads that are horrible. And we take it and we stretch it and it becomes something that God did not intend. And when, Because, look, man was supposed to have dominion over the earth and, and did, you know, supposed to take care of the earth. Well, how do we do with that? So you see, it's the same thing. It's the same kind of abuse. God gives control, and it's supposed to be in a godly fashion, and then we don't, we don't act that way. So, Jonathan, a, each segment we're going to present a helping hands thought in terms of dealing with the abuse that happens in our world. What is it from this particular segment? Well, this is important, Rick. God's allowance of sin is never an invitation or a suggestion to commit sin. Okay, just because God allowed sin doesn't mean that it's a free-for-all. Doesn't mean that doesn't matter anything else. Well, God said we can, so let's go do that. That's not the point. That never was the point, that is not the point, and that will never be the point. Just because sin happens doesn't mean that we're just invited to go push things to the points of abuse and so forth that they just shouldn't go to. So, you know, at this point, right from the start, acting out of accordance with God's will opens doors that inevitably bring disaster. Israel was given God's law to combat the effects of sin. How well did they do with it? And what's that got to do with hashtag me too? 
If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. The entrance of sin has everything to do with hashtag me too, as all abuse and all mistreatment are founded in the ungodly behavior of self-worship. The more I see the world through the eyes of me and my desires, the less likely I will be to be able to see others as valuable in their own right as fellow human beings. And this is one of the key things ungodly behavior of self-worship. When I see things through my own eyes only, I automatically minimize the legitimacy of the people around me, and that is a recipe for serious, a serious trouble. So we're going to take a look at this, uh, several things that go into uh, the, 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 the establishment of the, the hashtag MeToo movement and what, what ends up happening. So let, let's start with a soundbite. This is from Jack Tuckner. He's an attorney, and he defends women in, in, in harassment cases. And um, this was from a YouTube video entitled, Hashtag Me Too is Not Just for Celebs. And he, he gives a real important observation to begin our discussion here. So let's listen. The average person doesn't feel that she can lose her job. The average person isn't going to have another contract waiting for her, another movie, another starring role as an anchor on another network. The average person is worried that she's going to lose her job, perhaps lose her home, her apartment, not be able to find another job right away. And that's scary as heck. And you don't know what to do if you think that your boss is subjecting you to unwelcome sexual attention sexualizing you, objectifying you. It may be subtle. It may appear to be playful. But in the meantime, you don't like it. And you know what? You don't have to put out one whit of energy, one molecule of effort beyond what's required to perform the essential functions of your job. All right, Julie, any just any responses, reactions to that before we get into the subject deep, more deeply? You know, it's interesting. Just this morning, I received um, a, an email from uh, a news organization that stated how, money, how much millions and millions and millions of dollars companies are now paying out because of sexual harassment claims. Yeah. And so I think that because it's starting to hit middle America um, corporations in, you know, right where it really, really hurts, I think things are starting to change a little bit. Yeah, well, and, and it's a good thing because they need to change a little bit. They need to change a lot. Mm-hmm. And so as we get into this, we want to introduce our other guest. And, and this, is, this is somebody who's actually very, very special to me. This is, this is my daughter, Amy. Uh, Amy McKiernan. Good evening, my dear. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Okay, you're going to have to speak up a little bit more. Okay. All right. All right. It's good so, to have another woman here. Hi, Amy. Hi. You know, and uh, we're going to get into the reason Amy is with us is because she's had several experiences along these lines. Some of them were smaller and some of them were enormous. And we're going to touch on these 
and follow the pattern that happens that doesn't often get talked about. And so Amy is going to be giving, putting herself out there in, in a very, uh, very plain way for, to, to help us understand what's going on with this whole thing. So Amy, sit tight. We're going to get back to you in just a couple of minutes. Right now, um, let's begin by looking at, and, and men, I am talking to you. We've got what we call, what we're calling hashtag me too virus points. And you know what happens when you get a virus? It's miserable and it, and, and it can be contagious and you don't want it. Well, there are pieces of our male behavior that add to this virus. And the first piece is self-worship. And that says I'm most important and that leads to a degraded society. So, Jonathan, we're going to be going through an, an example of this. We're not going to go read the entire story because it's, it's a hideous story. But Israel fell deeply into a godless stupor, easily and quickly. Uh, the, this next account that was going to, we're going to be looking at was probably soon after the death of Joshua. So they, they were rescued from Egypt, right? That's right. Okay, they crossed the Red Sea. They got the Ten Commandments. They wandered in the wilderness. They finally go into the land of Canaan. Okay, as they get into the promised land shortly after that. Now, God has delivered them again and again and again and again and again. Okay, shortly after that, they enter this, this, this situation. It's in Judges chapter 19, verse 1. And the first line of the story, and then two chap- three chapters later, the last line of the story, tell us the story. So what's the first line? Judges 19, verse 1. Now it came about in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite staying in a remote part of the hill country of Ephraim who took a concubine for himself from Bethlehem in Judah. Okay, so the important thing is it came about in those days when there was no king in Israel. And it gives you the sense that there's no order in Israel, and that's exactly why that phrase was there to begin. There was no order, and men were left to their own devices. And so in this story, Jonathan, and again, we're not going to read it, thank goodness, but in Judges 19, 20, and 21, it's a story of depravity, of horrible depravity that typifies the depravity of our world today. And by not getting into a lot of the details, there's self-preserving actions on the part of this Levite who is in danger for his life. So instead of allowing himself to be in danger, he takes his wife and he literally throws her to the men. Who, the wolves. The wolves, yes. They, uh, doubling his men, but yes, the wolves. Mm-hmm. And, we call them pigs. <laughs> yeah, that's appropriate, and I'm good with that. And they abuse her and end up killing her because they abuse her for so long and so harshly. And he ends up being angry that she's dead. Now, look, he's the one who offered her up to protect himself. Exactly. So, you know, you've got this this horrible, horrible thing. And what ends up happening in Israel, a civil war begins because of this. And it's the tribe of Benjamin that was the abusers. And so the rest of the tribes try to gang up on him. And tens of thousands of men die. And then there's few men left in, 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 in the tribe of Benjamin after this war is over. So what do they do? They kidnap a bunch of women so they can have wives. So you've got... Every part of this story is degraded, and it seems to get worse and worse and worse. And the lesson here is that when man walks away from God, he no longer has clear moral bearings. This story and the book of Judges come to an end with our theme text that clearly defines, uh, verifies this. And Jonathan, read the theme text again, Judges 21, 25. 
In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And, and Jonathan, before the uh, podcast, you and I were talking, and you said you had a, a list of 15 symptoms of narcissistic, um, what is, I can't even read my writing here, personality, personality disorder. Personality disorder, that's right. And it's because of the virus of self-worship that I thought of this, Rick. Okay, so what are these 15 symptoms? One, always talk about themselves. Two, fantasize power, brilliance, beauty, and success. Three, believe that they are superior. Four, require constant praise. Five, sense of entitlement, a king complex. Six, take advantage of others. Seven, envious of others. Eight, enjoy being the center of attention. Nine, lack empathy. Ten, boundless ambition. Eleven, incredibly insecure. Twelve, incredibly charming. Thirteen, extremely competitive. Fourteen, hold grudges. And fifteen, don't take criticism well. And Rick, with all these they can do these things without remorse. And, you know, that, that is a great example, unfortunately, of what our world looks like in, in the environment that we're in. It's just we're so narcissistic. And that adds to harassment and thus the hashtag MeToo movement. So, Julie, let, let's get into this now. How has the virus of self-worship contributed to the kinds of harassment and abuse that, that we now see everywhere? Well, you know, one of the keys to the Me Too movement is highlighting the abuse of power. And the abuser is always in a higher position, either socioeconomically or in a work environment, and puts their wants and considerations in front of respecting the victim. And so this abuser uh, has a sense that he, and sometimes she, is entitled to this action. And if they were caught, that there'd be little consequence, just like some of the characteristics that Jonathan read. And this devalues the worth of the victim and their voice. So I wanted to give two quick examples that uh, just had crossed my desk in the last week, uh, dealing with the religious community. And we'll go ahead and quote the full source material in this week's, this week's CQ Rewind, the transcript of this program. But churches are going through a crisis using a derivative called hashtag church two. Oh, brother. And so I, there's an article written just in January of this year that discusses this tearful confession of a Tennessee evangelical pastor who had forced a sexual incident on a 17-year-old girl while he was her youth pastor. And the quote from the article is this, the issue of pastoral abuse is especially sensitive in evangelical churches because many of them hold what they consider a biblical view on male and female leadership roles. The Southern Baptist Convention, by far the largest of the evangelical denominations, does not ordain women or encourage them to play official church leadership roles. Some evangelical women say this attitude has produced a patriarchal culture in their church communities and led church authorities to be reluctant to move decisively against pastors accused of improper behavior. So a person in the article quotes, but it's important to separate. There's distinctive gender roles in the church, and then there's exploitation of power differentials between a pastor and his flock. And what we see in this incident is a failure to understand that what one person might describe as a sexual incident is really about power, abuse, and violation. So I didn't know if you had any comment on that. And then I have one more quick quote, if, if we can. Well, my finish. comment on that is it is to me, it's despicable because, you know, we we try really hard to live up to Christian ideals and to have the mix, the, the confusion 
between the roles that we play and confusing it with permission to be able to do things and, and allow things to happen is ridiculously off base. I don't care if you're a Christian or not, it is as wrong as wrong can be and should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, period. That's my comment. So what, what, what actually ended up happening was this: that the, the young girl brought it to the attention of the board, and the board moved the man and threw him a goodbye party. Oh, good. Okay. I wish I got invited to the goodbye yeah. party. And this came out now years now, now that we have this Me Too environment. This just has come out now to the congregation. And that's when he has made these tearful, I'm so sorry that this happened years ago. This is what I did. Yeah. Yeah. See, see, folks, we cannot, we cannot, if we, if you call yourself a Christian, we cannot, cannot, cannot go down those roads because that is as, as unchristian as anything you can imagine. And we're going to show that as we go through this. You said you had one other quote. Yeah, let me give you one other quick one. Okay. After decades of silence, the nun is one of a handful worldwide to come forward recently on an issue that the Catholic church has yet to come to terms with the sexual abuse of religious sisters by priests and bishops. The, pro the problem is global and pervasive thanks to the universal tradition of the sisters' second-class status in the Catholic Church and their ingrained subservience to the men who run it. Here, ready for this? Okay. Nuns were considered safe sexual partners for priests who feared they might be infected with HIV if they went to prostitutes or women in the general population. Okay, you know, th that sentence is as condemnatory as it needs to be. If we would just allow that sentence to apply and the law to apply to people like that. It, there, there's no room for that. And, and look, that's one. Thank you, Julie. You, you, thanks for upsetting me and raising my blood pressure. Good job, kid. <laughs> but, you know, that's one of the reasons we brought Amy in, because she has had several personal experiences. And, and we're going to kind of walk through through parts of, of, of Amy's life. So, Amy, let's start with an experience that you had when you were in middle, middle school. And this was an experience you had with a teacher. What, what's up with that? Um, yes, yeah, so it was one of my teachers, um, and he touched me inappropriately um, several times. So more, more than once? Yeah, three okay. times. Um, the first time I thought maybe it was an accident, um, so I just kind of brushed it off um, because, you know, why would that happen? Right. Second time seemed much more intentional, and the third time was very intentional, and then that's when I decided to come to you. Okay, so, so you came to me and said, Dad, this is what happened at school. Right. Okay, so my, my reaction to that was to call the principal and tell her that I had a real problem, that there was a teacher that I thought acted inappropriately. I told her the teacher's name. I said I needed to come in and talk to the principal, and I would like to talk to the teacher at, 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 as well. So that's, that's where I, I got started. But Amy, what happened after you actually reported this? Um, several other girls came to me in the hallway thanking me for reporting it, and I believe also reported incidents. So when somebody speaks up, it gives others strength. So let me just tell you what happened, because as a dad, you know, it, if you've got moral fiber to you, somebody does that to your daughter, uh, and you want to find out. So I went in, and I sat down with the principal first. And she was listening very carefully. And I said, I want to talk to him. I want to look him in the eye. And she said, fine, he'll come down when we're ready. And so I talked through with her. And I promised her, 
that when I talked to him, I wouldn't cross any line, but I was mad and I wanted him to know it. And she was fine with that. And so now, now this is several years ago because you're, you're, you're older than a teenager now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amy's a, mo- a mother of two, actually. <laughs> um, so this guy comes down into, into the, to the office and you know, sits down across from me and begins, we begin talking. I tell him, I said, this is what my daughter said. And he said to me, uh, no, that's not what happened. I said, really? I said, so are you telling me my daughter lied? And, you know, I'm not a big person. I'm not intimidating by size. But apparently, I have been told I have a stare that can kill you. (laughs) 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 And he was on the other end of it, and I was not a happy camper. And when I said to him, are you telling me my daughter lied, he started to shake. I mean, he was shaking, and he couldn't, he didn't have an answer. And he was trying to tell me, well, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, this was, it's things that were not intentional and so forth and so on. And the conversation goes on. And we're, we're, we're getting ready to finish, and he, we stand up, and he looks at me, and, and he apologizes, and he puts out his hand to shake my hand, and I wouldn't shake his hand. And I just looked at him, and I said, listen, never touch my daughter again, ever. And he trembled as he left the room. Bottom line was he got fired. And rightfully so. He didn't get moved. He didn't get transferred. Uh, I talked to the to the principal about a week later, and she said I had to fire his bleep <laughs> because this, there was too much that came out after your daughter spoke up. And so that was our experience. But but Aim, what what did that leave you with? Um, that's when my, as I call it, my victim mindset started setting in. Um, that was the first step. So, so a victim mindset is when you just view yourself as a victim and you kind of become more accepting to, uh, despicable actions towards you. Okay. Amy, how old are you at this time? You said middle school. Middle what is, school, that? 13? is that? Like 13, I think. 13. Okay. 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 So we're, we're, we're pushing the time limits here. Jonathan, the biblical fact is that women played vital roles in the support of Jesus and the gospel. Many women followed Jesus and did their part to support him and the gospel. We don't have time to read, but just sum up a couple of scriptures for us on examples of women in, in very important roles. Well, Rick, in Luke 8, 1 through 3, uh, Jesus had the 12 with him, but the other women that were there were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Chuez, Susanna, and many others who provided many resources and support for Jesus and the disciples. So he had women actively supporting him. What about in Acts? Acts, 24, Acts 18, 24 to 26, just sum up what, what, what's happening there. Well, Apollos um, was an excellent orator, and he was doing a great job in witnessing the gospel, except he had an error in baptism. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard this, they pulled him aside and straightened him out a little bit, saying, we're no longer under John's baptism, but now were baptized into Christ. So he immediately began proclaiming the truth on baptism at that, at that time. But see, the point is Priscilla and Aquila, that was a husband and wife team, went to what would become one of the great, great teachers in the, in the early church. And the husband and wife together straightened him out. You know, and the scripture is very, very clear on that. And, and what it's telling you is it wasn't the guy that just went because the woman couldn't speak. There was a freedom to 
to proclaim the gospel to others. And it's a powerful example that, A, Jesus had these women following him and helping him, and he recognized them and he blessed them in special ways. And B, there are examples in the New Testament where women step up and step out and do something really spectacular. So that, that's an important point. So, Jonathan, our helping hands thought as we wrap up this segment. Nurture the inclusiveness that comes to all who follow Jesus so that followers who have been wounded can have a place to heal and grow. That's what the gospel is really about. It's nurturing the inclusiveness so those who have been hurt have a place to go and heal. Look, being a self-worshipper or a nurturer are total opposites. We need a major humility injection to keep us straight. What about the New Testament? Does God alert Christians to be aware of the same kinds of challenges? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side... Time to go in reverse with a CQ contradiction. You know, God is painfully plain on these matters. It's important to note that while he does not generally separate men and women with regard to cautions about falling away from his standards, which are always based in respect, he does give clear instruction as to the order he wants the called out ones to follow. And Julie, you alluded to that order is in, in earlier in our conversation that you know there is a a a God than Jesus than men than women situation based on that curse. So we've got to be able to work with that and deal with that as we go through our our days. Question is how do we do that? So let's go back to some virus points. And men, this is dedicated to you. This is from Jonathan and I to you. The next Me Too virus point, we had self-worship, and Jonathan brought up all of that uh, that narcissistic stuff. Well, now we've got what we're going to call self-imposed ignorance. You position yourself to not know what's wrong and what's right, even though it's really obvious if you would just pay attention. In other words, you choose ignorance because it's, it's convenient. It's easier. It's more fun. It, it's, it's, just, it's just you don't have to fight through anything. Men, we do that. We tend to do that. Just We've got to look at this and say, okay, what am I doing with this? Jonathan, a quick warning from Romans chapter 1. Uh, let's actually do verse 18 and 20. For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his external power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Okay. The, 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 the important line there is, you know, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. See, the, the phrase self-imposed ignorance, that's where I got it from. I got it from the scripture. Men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's what self-imposed ignorance is. And then the, the verses go on. Just sum up the, the next piece of the verses, Jonathan. What, what are they telling us? Well, basically that mankind doesn't honor God, and they're futile in their own speculations, and they create idols to worship. Uh, how foolish. Yeah. 
And, and so we create an environment where ignorance is acceptable and we get comfortable in it. And that is not the way it needs to be. So this virus of self-imposed ignorance. And Amy, you've got, the, the, uh, of, of the experiences we're talking about, this is the least of the experiences, but still is, is important in your, your, uh, your ex- overall life experience. An experience now from high school. And this is more of uh, verbal harassment. What happened? Um, so I was in high school. I was a freshman um, in the cafeteria, and a, a group of guys at a table, you know, called me over. I walk over, and they start making c- uncomfortable comments, asking really inappropriate questions, and just going on and on. And it was so embarrassing. Like a bunch I, of bunch of high school guys. Uh, yeah, high school okay. boys. Boys. Okay. And um, as they're going on, I can feel myself feeling mortified but i can also see in one of their faces um one of the the boys started to feel a little bit mortified too like i could i could see it switch within him like wow this is really wrong um i could see the guilt set in he didn't say anything he didn't speak up he didn't take a stand but i could tell he was uncomfortable with the conversation okay so so this one guy is uncomfortable with the conversation but doesn't change anything right so you you get through it and okay, moving on. First of all, what happens with that guy, and then let's go back to what happened with you. But that guy first. So he ended up finding me afterward and apologizing, um, briefly. You know, apologizing for the conversation. So when he apologized, did that like did that make it better for you? No, the damage is already done. Um, you know, it was a nice gesture, I guess, but it, the damage was already done. Okay, so you you had that previous experience probably what a couple years before, mm-hmm. and now you have this experience, and and what does that do with that that victim sense that you started to talk about uh, with the previous experience? So it just it just keeps growing, you know. You start thinking this is just the way things are. This is the way my life goes, or how people view me, and it just sets in a little deeper. So even though there's nothing physical. It's the harassment that sets in and creates an environment that says, I, this is, this is what I am. This is what I should expect. Is it what you are? Is it what you should, should expect? Heck no. But that's what happens with these kinds of circumstances, and, and especially men. You have to realize that the little joking done in fun you can be creating that victim mentality in somebody and damaging them little piece by little piece by little piece. And we just, we just, we just, we, we can't, we can't just sit by and watch it. Go ahead, Julie. And, and my guess is that those boys learned very quickly that guess what? There's no consequence right. for doing that to someone. So I'm, as they grow up and as they go into college and they go into the work world, those are the same little boys that it's all good fun. Yeah. Yeah, good good fun. Yeah, sure. You know. And and so there there is a disconnect that we have to recognize. And as Christians, we have to stand up and against that disconnect. So Julie, let, let let's talk about this a little bit. How can we as Christian men and women do better, you know, when we see things like this? Well, you know, under this this concept of this self-imposed ignorance, What's happened with this Me Too movement is I found a quote from the original founder, Ms. Burke, who said that 
people are now complaining that, oh, well, I date in the workplace. How am I going to, how can I even date now? I can't even, you know, do I sign a, sign a contract that this is all consensual or what do I do? And she said, if Me Too gets in the way of your love life, you're doing it wrong because this isn't about flirting or being alone with a woman. It's about lies, touching, groping, and not listening to no. And it's about an unequal power dynamic between some people and the abuse of power. So I was thinking, well, how can we do better? And boy, I, I, using Jonathan as the example, Jonathan is always talking about his wife, Jewel, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And he includes her in all of his conversations and all the events. And if he's going to be somewhere, he lets her know about it and he includes her. There is no doubt that Jonathan is married and there's no doubt that he's happily married. And I think this sets up boundaries for the women that he interacts with. He's always talking about God and his faith. And that sets up what I call a fence of expectation. When you're going to interact with him, you're going to know that an off-color joke is not going to be well-received. Right. And if someone's going to flirt with him, he's a very attractive man. If you've seen pictures of him on the website or on our Instagram. But if someone's going to flirt with him verbally or physically, you will know it will not be well-received. So, Rick, I, I had a question with you. As a minister, mm -hmm. I know that you very often counsel young girls and women. Yes. And what do you do to set up boundaries? A lot of things. A lot of things. There, there's, there's a whole litany of things that, that could come into play. Um, and again, and it's, it's talking about uh, my wife. Uh, Frequently, it's letting that person know that sometimes when you're, you're you're dealing with someone and their 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 deepest issues, you don't share everything with anybody else because it is thoroughly confidential. But I let them know that I discuss the overall concept of what's happening with my wife always, all the time. She actually is a tremendous tremendous resource for me to help put things together. So we do that, and and then there's the sense of approaching someone as a sister or as a daughter. And for me, that's one of the big, 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 big walls or uh, what did you call it? Walls of expectation? Offensive expectation. Offensive expectation. Okay. Uh, part of the fence for me is making sure that individual understands I see them as a sister. I see them as a daughter. And we're at, we're, we're at literally at arm's length. Literally. And you, you can't be too careful. And even writing emails. There are times when I'm writing an email to someone who's struggling with something, and I'll type out a sentence, and I'll look at it and say, oh, I wonder if that can be yeah, you read between the lines. And I'll back it out and say something more generic because I don't want to take a chance. It is not worth it. I respect, by God's grace, those individuals too much as human beings, as God's chosen ones, to, to, to even consider the idea of... of of, of anything that might be remotely considered off-color. So you have to be way, way back in terms of putting things in order. So a um, lot more to that, but that, you know, suffice that for right now. But Julie, good, good conversation and points on what we do to set things in order to make, make it so that we don't go down the wrong road. Because you know what? Once you start, once you take one little step, it's really easy to take another little step. And just like with the boys at the table at the high school, if there's no consequence, then it's therefore okay. And if it's okay, then we've got that self-imposed ignorance working in our own heads 
and we are headed for potential disaster. Look, it doesn't mean you're going to have disaster, but you're certainly opening the door for it. And who would want to do that? Let's let's go to the roles of men and women in the church. Julie, do you have one more comment? If there's time, I'll have, I'll have a comment. Um, you know what? Let's, uh, let's do the roles and see if we'll come back around to that. Okay, I just want to get this in. Uh, soundbite from Roles of Women from Reverend Carrie Sandin. This is interesting because, you know, she's a reverend, quote-unquote, but she has a very, uh, a very uh, conservative viewpoint of Scripture, which in, in many ways we really, really do agree with. There's no sense in which a Christian man is more important to God than a Christian woman. But the roles in which they are to play within the family of God are slightly different. And if you look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus, we see this very definitely. Um, he was actually revolutionary in the way that he treated women, given the Jewish and Roman cultures of his day. But he was absolutely clear that they didn't have the same role as men. So he taught women individually. He spoke to them in public. These are things that men wouldn't have normally done in his culture. But when it came to appointing his uh, disciples and then his apostles, it was men who he chose for that role. Men are the ones who are to lead. So in the life of uh, the local church, it's not appropriate for women to take positions of overall leadership. That is a distortion of the created order and will not lead to unity in the church. You know, and it's interesting. She talks about, you know, leading to unity in the church and so forth. And, and, and I think there's some profound wisdom in those comments. So, Jonathan, let's, let's get into that a little bit. The Bible fact is, like she mentioned, there is a very specific order that God has set for Christianity, and there are very specific reasons for us to adhere to that order. It's not something haphazard. God is never haphazard. So, we're going to be talking about being in subjection or sub- submitting. And, Jonathan, before we read the scripture in, in Ephesians 5, what does the word submit mean? Well, Rick, it means to be subordinate, ref- reflexively to obey. Okay, so it is really what it sounds like. And, again, these are scriptures that are very clear on an order of things. So, Jonathan, let's go through that. Ephesians five twenty through 22 through 27, I'm, I'll interrupt you in the middle. Wives, be in subjection unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, being himself the Savior of the body. Okay, so wives, be in subjection, because there's a, a subjection to, of Christ to Christ as well. Verse 24. But as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives also be to their husbands in everything. Okay, that's a pretty blanket statement. And Julie, we're going to ask you to weigh in on this when we get finished with it, because you're a wife, and um, I want to hear your perspective. Now, so you've got this subjection, but it says the church is subject to Christ. So the, the subjection doesn't end with the husband. We're all subject to Christ. And now here's the husband's responsibility in this subjection thing, verses 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify it, having cleansed it by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to the church to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Okay, so our adhering to this order is actually showing our total devotion to Christ. That's a unifying effect. Julie, just a, 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 a wives take on that. Well, you know, this is the per- this is the standard. So this is what we're looking towards. Here's what it doesn't say. Wives, be in subjection to your tyrannical husband who abuses you. Right. Doesn't say that. 
the husband has to treat the wife backwards like God treats the church or treats Jesus and like Jesus treats the church. It's it's it, it goes backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. So in order to respect the husband, the husband has to, hey, he's got a huge part in this. In verse 25, husbands, agape love your wives. Agape love, meaning, you know, without any limit, without any boundaries, without even expectation of the love coming back. Right. It's the highest degree of love and respect you have for your wife. Who wouldn't, what wife wouldn't want to be subjected to that kind of un, unde, undying devoted love where that's you, his main concern is his, his wife. Right. Of course we're going to be subjected to that. So, and, and that's exactly the way we want to look at it. So husbands, the, the burden is on you. That's right. Face the fact the burden is on you to lift yourself up to a standard that is higher. And if you think you're doing it, do it better because it's as Jesus loves the church. Let's focus on that. So, Jonathan, the helping hands thought here is what? If done wholeheartedly, holding fast to the Christ, man, woman order that God put in place for us actually discourages abusive behavior as it is all respect based. And Julie, that's exactly what you were saying. It's a completely respect-based environment that the church, the true church, is supposed to be set up with. So those stories that you told earlier are so far away from this, they can't even be considered Christian, honestly, because it is just as sinful as sinful can be and is exactly opposite. Jonathan, just quick point on a scripture. I just want to get it in. Um, Different does not mean unequal. You know, women and men are different. Romans 16.1, just give us a summation. What, what is it telling us? Well, Paul is recommending uh, Phoebe to the Corinth church. Um, she was faithful as a co-laborer in Christ, assisted the church in many ways, and Paul was blessed by her, and he said, you know, let her help you like she helped me. Right, right. And so he's basically saying, you know, she is valuable, don't underestimate her value. Take really good care of her. What a testimony of respect for that particular sister uh, in Christ. And Julie, that other comment you had, let's see if we can take that next segment, okay, because we really do need to, to wrap this one up. But, uh, you know, here, here's the thing. So, so the Christian hierarchy defines roles and not value. Forgetting this fact can get us into all kinds of trouble. The world certainly embraces ignorance towards God. What are the dangers of causes that are meant to heal? becoming causes that hurt. Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. Once we have found comfort in living ignorantly towards God, we can now easily open the door to yet another downward step toward the pit of vile morality. This next step is one that needs the arrogance of self-worship and the no-limits thinking of shunning God's order to thrive. So, you know, we're going down this horrible, horrible path, and it starts with self-worship, and then it goes to uh, self-imposed ignorance, knowing better but doing it anyway. And we're going to be getting into the next piece in, in just a moment here. Hey, Rick, I've got a question for you. So you just ended the last segment and you you had a statement that I caught, but I didn't quite understand. You said the Christian hierarchy defines roles and not values. Yes. What does that mean? What does that mean? So the hierarchy of, of, of the man is over the woman. It's, it's all it's doing is defining the role that you play. 
It has nothing to do with the value of the individuals. Because the woman, as we have seen in Scripture so far many, many times, is just as valuable as the man. So just because your role is one of, 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 of authority doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you more valuable. As a matter of fact, it makes you more of a servant toward others. So it's, it's just defining roles. That's what it is. It's not about the value of the individuals. So I have one more question. So we're all volunteers here at Christian Questions. Yes. What do you think, what what would you say the percentage of women is of our volunteer? Uh, I don't know, (laughs) 98.9. So so if women, uh, if the traditional biblical role is the submissive and women aren't supposed to be teachers, what about all the women that we have who are writing back our listeners who are researching biblical questions and Mm All the, all the women that you've had on this program, mm-hmm. like today, for example, is that going beyond what pleases God? No, because when it's very specific, when, when you are witnessing the gospel to the world, men and women alike need to be out in front doing that. There are scriptures that talk about the men and the women going out to witness together. And so this is not in a teaching role inside of the congregation, if you will. So it's a, there's a difference, and what we do at Christian Questions is we try to tap into the talents of whomever is volunteering and, and so, because there's so much work to do, and it doesn't matter who you are. And if you notice, the primary uh, conversations are between myself and Jonathan. That's by design, and we believe that fits the design that God put in place. And under that hierarchy— we have all of these other volunteers. Now, does that make Jonathan and I more valuable? No. Not at all. It simply defines the role that we play. That's all it is. If you ask me, the greatest value is, and Jonathan will agree, I know, is with all of these sisters that do this amazing work week after week after week behind the scenes, there's incredible value that, that, that's got to be respected. Amen. Okay, we need to move forward here. Next, Me Too virus men, I'm talking to you, and I'm, Jonathan, I'm saying it from because I'm, I'm mad now, okay? <laughs> you know, is deciding on depravity. You know, we, we've talked about self-worship, we've talked about self-imposed in, ignorance. You put those two things in place, and now you're deciding on depravity. Once we've convinced ourselves there's no higher guidance, plan, and morality, it becomes easy to personally decide how we will live. And that has got horrible Horrible, horrible consequences. Romans chapter 1, let's just read verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Okay. Again, where do we get the idea of deciding on depravity? From the scripture. God gave them over to a depraved mind. And we have got to understand that depravity creates mess and hurt and trauma and it ruins lives and as an example of that um before we go any further amy i want to come back to you and uh you know this next experience is really hard um we actually talked about this uh on the air we did a two-hour program back in august of 2014 but amy at age 15 you were raped yes and look, folks, that was the low point of our family's life. I'm telling you, it, it, was, it was a horrible thing. Just a quick sense of, we don't need to at this point go into what happened, but what was the result for you after that experience? 
I was broken. Um, that victim mentality took over. Um, I felt deserving. I felt accepting of all of it and more. Um, and just became like a way of life. Uh, I really defined who I was at that point. And what ended up happening is there was several years of self-destructive behavior after that. Right. And we kind of went through that together. Yeah. 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 After, after, after the rape, I would pick her up from school every day and we'd go home and she wouldn't talk, you know, and there were months where she just wouldn't talk. And I'm telling you folks, this was, was, was one of the deepest, darkest times in our lives. And, but here's the thing I want you to understand. There were those other previous experiences that happened before that set this up to be even worse than it had to be. As bad as it was, those other experiences made it worse. And the message here is when you harass or abuse in any way, even if it's small, you are a contributor to the downfall of a human being. And we have no right, no right to go down that road. So, Amy, we'll get to more of that. Obviously, you're not broken now. Absolutely not. Uh, as a matter of fact, Aim, you are a very powerful woman now. I like to think so. <laughs> yeah, well, I know so. And, you know, so there is a hap- there can be a happy ending. We'll, we'll get to more of that a little bit later. But thank you um, for, for going there. I want to go to a soundbite from uh, the factual feminist on the Me Too movement, hashtag Me Too, and it's about Matt Damon. And, you know, he, had, he was trying to be supportive of the Me Too movement, and he was suggesting that harassment and rape are actually two different things, and they're on two different levels, and they're both wrong. He got plastered for saying those things. And so this woman, this factual feminist, is, is basically coming to his defense saying that, hey, well, well you, know, you know what? He, he had a point. So let's just play her comments, and then, Julie, let's, let's get a uh, – actually, I want to go back to Amy. No, we'll go to you on that, and then we'll go back to Amy. Her advice to Damon and men everywhere was to remain silent. The time right now is for men just to listen. Well, I'm a woman, so I don't have to be silent, and I think Damon was right. Many drivers claim that there is no hierarchy of abuse is incoherent. Gradations of harm and degrees of guilt are fundamental to our moral intuitions and our legal system. Our criminal laws make many fine distinctions among bad and worse actions, and so do our judgments of others in everyday life. And telling men as a species to shut up and listen, that isn't progress, it's sexism. Well, what I wish is that Damon did not have to issue a ritual recantation and that men and women could discuss the issues freely and rationally. If men and women of goodwill could work together, they can make historic progress in the fight against harassment and abuse. But to succeed, the movement is going to have to channel its outrage and confront its own excesses. So, Julie, on that, you know, the the whole point of this podcast is let's talk about it as men and women but just your quick response on all of this well it was interesting because when he said this his point was you know we're really only talking about one percent of the men in the population in the workforce that are losing their jobs over this it just seems like there's a lot of talk about it Um, and then various celebrities would answer back and you know you read some of these answers and one was um, there are different stages of cancer some more treatable than others but it's still a cancer and we're outraged because we're made to feel like this is normal. So you kind of see they're, they're okay, they've got a point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one said this, I thought was kind of sarcastic. Um, me, the day after a mass shooting, 
you know what? We just aren't talking enough about all the people not committing mass murder. Get it? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's, they felt they took it that Matt Damon was like patting himself on the back about how good he was. And then they started turning against him and saying, well, gee, he sounds like he's someone who has skeletons in his closet um, because he's obsessed with redirecting the conversation. But, you know, when you and I first started talking about this to do this a subject as a CQ topic, you you had some a little bit of indignation of being lumped into all those men, just That's like right. Matt Damon did. Yeah, and, and you can see why from my personal experience. Well, yes, but I also think they weren't they weren't talking to you. <laughs> but when they <laughs> you know? say men but it in seems general, like you can't say anything as right, a man. Right, they're gonna get they're gonna start looking for skeletons in your closet. Right, which I know your your closet is clean. That's right, it is. So you know it, it's a difficult thing, and there has to be the ability to talk. And as Christians, we of all people should have that ability in a better, bigger, stronger way than anyone else. So, all right, Julie, we'll get back to you in just a minute. But Amy, I just want to talk to you just an, another minute about. You know, after the rape, and you talked about this victim mentality um, that was beginning to just set in. Where, just a little bit more on on, on where you ended up with with that, you know, kind of dominating your life. Um, nowhere good. <laughs> it um, completely took over, and just in this downward spiral, and um, I couldn't get out of it. And, and, you know, that, that's the important thing. You couldn't get out of it. And, and we went to a camp. Remember the first counselor we went to? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. what, what does that mean? Well, we went to a different one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, we tried to get the help, but the help wasn't working. Yeah. And so we had to make adjustments. But the point is, folks, that my daughter, Amy, she's sitting here next to me now as a grown woman who has gotten beyond this whole thing, was completely broken for a long time. And it took a lot of care, and it took prayer, and it took effort, and it took attention, and it took dealing with the, 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 the reactions of somebody who's broken, who just breaks themselves further because that's all they know. And as a dad, it was a heartbreaking period of years until we began to see the progress slow and steady. And in the next segment, we're going to talk to you a little bit about what that progress is and, and, and how to get to it. But Amy, thank you for being willing to be vulnerable on this. I have a thing. question for Amy. Um, what as your 30 something year old self, would you go back and tell your 13 year old self in that, in that um, cafeteria? What, what advice would you have given her? To take a stronger stand, um, mm. to not let it define her, you know, these things, they don't define us. And that's the problem is that we allow them to, yeah. and it becomes who we are. And that's not the case. And it's so a, very, it's a mindset, a mindset yeah. to say this, you, 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 you can't take my power because you, you don't matter to me. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's such an important thing, and, but it's so easy to look back and say, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Mm-hmm. And, but if you can walk into your teenage years with that that thinking and and folks those of you who are parents and listening you'd start you've got to build that up in your especially your daughters is no it's not okay it's not okay to go through and be a victim of those things it's not okay when those things happen and it is important to speak up because speaking up will keep somebody else safe and you know oftentimes we won't speak up for ourselves but if you get the idea that I can help somebody else it's a lot easier. 
And so that's perhaps another way to, that we can we can approach that. You know, we've got a lot of listeners who are high school age and who are college age yes. as well. So it, hopefully this will help them. Well, yeah, and, and it's just important to speak up. It's not okay. It's not acceptable. And you don't deserve it. And it's not biblical. <laughs> not even remotely close. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, let's go into just another biblical example. And again, just tell us parts of the story. Uh, John chapter 4, verses... Uh, 7 through 15, then John chapter 4, verses 23 to 26, is Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well. Just just overview the story for us. And he basically asked her, give me a drink. And she's like, you're asking me to give you a drink? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew? I mean, she's unclean, supposedly. Right. But she was surprised. And then she listened to his amazing words. And he's talking about uh, water, uh, about living water. So here she is going, what what does this mean? Are you greater than um, our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it with his sons? And uh, interesting question that she threw out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And so, and so what happens is Jesus not only goes through that, then he tells her that he's the Messiah. Now that's amazing because Julie had a great comment on that before the podcast started. What What was that that light bulb that went off, Julie, that you realized? Well, I had just recently learned that this was the first time Jesus ever revealed that he was the Christ. And so he gave this monumental reveal to a woman. And Wow. And to a woman who was an outsider. Yes. And the Amazing. response, the response from that was all of, she goes back home and she tells everybody, I've talked to the Messiah. And, and they all come running out. And Jesus goes there and spends two days with them. They are ritually unclean as far as the Jews are concerned. He broke the pattern. He talked to the woman. He gave her the witness of who he was. So you see that and you see how powerful, how powerful Jesus was in putting women in a position of honor and respect. There was no subserviency in terms of their value. They were special. They were special to him. Okay, Julie, you have a comment that you wanted to get in here. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, we you know we had a CQ contributor. Her name is Abby, and she wrote in. Um, she gave us Luke ten, starting with thirty eight, and she said the story of Mary and Martha is how Jesus treated them. Is another example in a time when certain sects of Judaism prohibited women from even being taught the Torah. Jesus was setting the stage for equality in the body of Christ. These women were basically bound to the home, and that was one of the only ways they could serve. But Jesus was calling them to more. Mary pushed the boundaries of society and sat in the midst of men to hear the word of God from the Son of God. And there'd be no place for belittling others because of their gender. Jesus loved all and not one more than the other. And she said, I believe Jesus was calling women to be nurturing the faith of others and not be put into the backdrop of society. And I think that is, and this is Julie speaking, I think that as a woman's role of nurturing others' faith is just spectacular because we really have that opportunity to do that. And it is not only spectacular, it is unbelievably necessary. There is an equality in Christ. And folks, look, the point we're trying to make is <clears throat> harassment is a reality of our world. Abuse is a reality of our world. But if you're a Christian, it ought not to be. If you're a Christian, your view of men and women and how they work together ought to be entirely different. We ought to be operating on a different level, on a higher level, so that we can be an example to the rest of the world that this is the way it's done. 
and it's done out of entirely out of mutual respect. So, Jonathan, our helping hands thought from this particular segment. If we would step out as Jesus did, our Christian culture could be a shining light for all as to appropriateness and respect regarding women. Appropriateness and respect. You know, you if if you're not in a position of being appropriate, you're not in a position of being a Christian. Period. Okay? That's the qualification of a Christian, is to be appropriate and respectful, because that's what Jesus did. This really doesn't have to be difficult. Love and respect every human being. Celebrate their worth. Where do the self-worship, self-imposed ignorance and depravity bring us as a culture? How do we fight it? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ Contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. As Christians, we're supposed to have protective walls built around our hearts and minds in relation to these things. Unfortunately, we don't always do a good enough job with this, so we need to be ever vigilant in our everyday thoughts and experiences. This, I think, is a major part of what fight the good fight of faith is really, truly all about. It's a matter of putting ourselves in a position to say, I will take nothing for granted. I will not take one step in an inappropriate direction because somebody else's life by my step toward inappropriateness can be damaged. And as you know, as Amy's experience has shown us, they can be damaged for the rest of their lives. You can do irreparable damage. You can contribute to that kind of damage to others by just thinking you're having fun. Well, grow up and be appropriate. And that's really what the Christian message is. Next, Me Too virus point, again, men, we're talking to you specifically, is continually corrupting your conscience. So if you go through the that self-worship that gives you that self-imposed ignorance that brings you to the point of, of, of deciding on depravity, what you've done is you have contaminated your conscience. And with a contaminated conscience, it's a life-absorbing challenge to try to change it. And it, it can be incredibly, incredibly difficult and maybe even almost impossible. I mean, nothing is impossible with God, but, you know, we don't want to go down the road of a corrupted conscience. So, Jonathan, let's go down. Let's go to our, our final soundbite. This is from the attorney again, Jack Tuckner, attorney, hashtag me too, not just for celebrities. And um, again, he brings out some important points just to, to wrap this up. If you were a boy performing the same job, would you be treated the same way that your manager, boss, supervisor, colleague is treating you? And if not, if there's any whiff of sexual content, anything unwelcome, non-consensual, something that makes you uncomfortable, it's illegal. And you need to oppose it. And you have to do it in a way that you're protected because there's, there's proof that you're pushing back. So, you know, Julie, that's a, that's a powerful point that if a man, a male, would be treated differently in the position you're in, then it, it's, just, it's just not legal. You're going down a road and you need to do something about it. 
not easy though, is it? No, not at all, but it's something that has to be done. And, you know, oftentimes the doing of something is what takes us out of our comfort zone. And, you know, the the healing in, in Amy's life took her out of her comfort zone because, frankly, she was comfortable in a self-destructive place for a long time. And she had to learn to be uncomfortable with that. And it was a difficult, difficult journey. So, Jonathan... Even unbelievers can see right and wrong from a higher perspective. And again, let's just read in the interest of time, Romans chapter 2, just verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves. Okay. So, Rick, we know right from wrong. Yeah, you know what? And, and whether you're a Christian or not, there's a sense of treating others with respect. And... Most of us, 99% of us, can figure out when you're being abusive to somebody with your words and certainly with your actions. You know, the extraordinary challenge of ungodly compromise creeping in is always there uh, for us as well as for, for people in, in the world. And First Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2 is a good verse that just kind of puts that in perspective. It's got a, a phrase that I think is really important. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, and Rick, that's our day, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And Rick, real quick, that made me think of the false hellfire doctrine, which we did a three-part series on, proves that exact point. When you listen to a false teaching long enough, You don't question it. You accept it. And your conscience is seared to look at anything else beyond it. So you you see things through those specific glasses. And with with the harassment and abuse that goes on between men and women, it's the same thing. You allow your conscience to be seared. You have no more no more feeling left. And then it becomes okay to be abusive. And it's not. Julie, go ahead. Well, you know, Jonathan read where it says in latter times, and he said that's today's times. I just wanted to give two quick passages uh, that I think is also dealing with today's time. That's Matthew ten twenty six to 27. There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And it looks to me like this is happening really more and more rapidly. We're exposing bad behavior in government and sinful actions. And our world is getting so difficult that people aren't even hiding anything anymore. There's carjackings in broad daylight and pornography use that's free and, 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 and excessive drug use. And I think that in conjunction with this, we need to act behind closed doors just like we do in the open. And that is a really hard thing for people to get their heads wrapped around. But it's true. To be, to be this, that's what integrity is. To be acting the same way when nobody will ever know as you would when everybody would know. Because that's what's required if you're a Christian. Face the facts. Thanks for those verses and, and putting that in perspective. All right, Amy, let, let, let's get back to your, your story and to the kind of wrapping this up. You know, when, when the rape happened, you and I both know you were someplace you weren't supposed to be. Right. 
And you and I both know that there was a little bit of uh, lying and deceptiveness to get you there? Yes. Okay. So, having said that, did you struggle with feeling like, okay, you kind of deserved what happened and it was all your fault? Absolutely. So, walk us through going from being that victim to what would you tell others in in, in dealing with that very kind of thing? Well, first off, you never deserve it, ever. Um, You may have made mistakes or made choices that were not the best, but that doesn't, it's not a a punishment. You know, it's not a deserving thing, no matter what you did. It's, it's, no. Okay. (laughs) Um, So that's first. Um, You know, to get out of the victim mindset is so important. Um, And oftentimes you move on and you become a survivor, you know, and there's a little bit more strength there. But the problem with identifying as a survivor is that it still defines you. Um, and and it, it should never define you. It's not who you are. Okay, so so you victim is, is obvious, but you're mm-hmm. saying survivor. And you made a really important point. Survivor means that whatever it was, you're still very, very much attached to. Right. And you were a survivor at one point. Mm-hmm. So what was that like in relation to being a victim? And then what's the next step? So, you know, I identified with a survivor, but it still was so much of who I was. I I was this thing that happened to me, this thing that I survived. It was that that's what my life was, you know, Um, it defined me and getting out of that definition and allowing myself to define who I was. Finally, then I became an overcomer. And that that's where we all need to be, because that's where you really let your strength shine and letting, you know, being strong can look different for everybody, you know, whether it's being a voice for all to hear or being a voice when somebody else needs it to just quiet self-care and and taking that first step that first step that can be the hardest and might feel so small whether that first step is confiding in someone or finding counseling or making a report or taking a stand you know those are those first steps of strength and just letting that strength shine you know whatever that means for you you know the interesting thing is uh, that we don't hear people talking about being overcomers. We hear people talk about being victims and being survivors. And what you're doing is saying, there's another step. And it's safe to say that you in your 30, I'm not going to tell people how old you are, but in your 30-something life, this thing that happened to you when you were 15 just doesn't play a role anymore. No, not at all. And we can look back and we do this frequently, well, not frequently, but often enough where we look back and we remember and everybody ends up in tears because you kind of visit, but then you walk away from it and you go back to life Mm -hmm. and see, that's the point. Life doesn't have to be surviving this thing. Life is having overcome it and it being an experience of the past that can now bring value to your life and to other lives. So Amy, uh, you're amazing. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. You know, you're, you're amazing in, in dealing with this and being able to, to, to work through it. Um, so I really appreciate your, 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 your telling your story. Any, Julie, any, any responses, questions, 
comments before we... No, I was making little clapping noises. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> no, I appreciate that because I, I never thought of that. I thought that the, the best pinnacle was to survive something, to be a survivor, but it isn't. No. It's to put that behind you completely yeah. and 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 live your life accordingly and help others where you can. And I, I appreciate that you're brave enough, even years ago when you came and told the full story, that you put your own you know, hesitation aside in an effort to help people. And I think whenever we go through something that is bad, we have to look at it. God may be allowing the experience so that we can move forward and in turn provide blessings to others. Thank thank you you. so much, Amy. Really appreciate you being willing to be vulnerable to help others. You're very welcome. And, and, you know, the the other part of this is, and and folks, I'd encourage you to to listen to the podcast from 2014 because it tells the story in in, in detail and you see the the agony of defeat and, and the incredible victory that follows. And what got us through as a family was faith in God and letting God direct us and, and living up to something higher. We had to find a way to go higher than those experiences, and it was really difficult. But by God's grace, over a long period of time, we found that way. Jonathan, we want to go to one final experience um, of Jesus dealing with women in a very, very special way. And this is Resurrection Morning uh, and Mary Magdalene and his experience with her. So what happened at that, and what was the special thing about his treatment of women as shown with this experience with Mary? Well, Jesus said to her, woman, uh, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And she thought she, he was the gardener. If you've taken him away, tell me. I want to I, I get him and, and take him um, myself. And he said, Mary. And she turned to him and just couldn't believe it was him. This was the first person he revealed his, uh, his resurrection to, a woman. Wow, that's amazing. Then he says, "Go, you know, don't touch me. Go, go tell the brethren what I'm telling you so that they can believe that, that my father has raised me from the dead. Wow, what a privilege Mary received. So it's interesting that Jesus first told a woman uh, that he was Messiah. And then when he's raised from the dead, the first woman he tells is a woman. You know, the first person. So what you're seeing is Jesus treated women with this high, high level of respect and integrity and honor and care. And the message for Christians is, if that's the way Jesus did it, that's the way I should do it. And there's never room, never excuse for any of this nonsense that we've been talking about. Julie, let's, uh, your, your thoughts as we begin to wrap this up, we've got about two or three minutes. Well, you know, it was interesting because what Jesus was doing was within the time period, within within the cultural confines, he elevated women to the point, the point that he could. And within God's pronouncement of the curse, he did to women what he could. He never violated God's rules and said, okay, women, now you are going to be my apost- my chief apostle. He never did that. He, but yet he was able to bring them along as disciples. And he gave, anywhere he could give them a special blessing or a special privilege, he snuck them in there. Yeah. And he gave them as our example. So you, we can see, the, the Christian men can see that Christian women have, have value. And again, it's not the, the hierarchy within Christianity is not about um, individuals' value. It's simply defining the roles. 
there by there by of necessity needs to be different roles played and god chose to let those roles be in conjunction with that curse and if we're good with that what we can find is a way to put everything uh in order of respect so look the me too movement julie good or bad Um, I think it's good because it's brought a lot of things to light, and I think it's it's brought the conversation forward, and I think it has saved a lot of women and girls coming up and, and men who have been abused as well to know that, hey, together we have a voice. I, I don't think we need to necessarily go out and, and march with everyone, but I think, I think at its core it was very good. Um, it, this has taught me, though, that we do want to build a fence of expectation. We want to be specific in our expectations of others and what we, how we expect them to treat us, and we want to treat others with that same respect. So I think we need to get our boundaries set. All of us, men all and us. women, all of us, because we, we need to be, have that mutual sense of looking up to one another. Jonathan, our final helping hands thought is what? The women who surround us have awesome potential for good and for blessing. Always see them through the eyes of respect. Seek and honor their unique contributions. And really, that's what this is about. You know, we're, we're talking about harassment and abuse and those things. But that's just a small part of the conversation because while we need to recognize it and rally around the fact that it should not ever be given an excuse to happen no matter what. And look, we all agree on that. We also want to agree on how do you keep it from happening. And the answer to keeping it from happening is to rise up and live that Christian life the way you're supposed to. Julie, any final quick, quick, quick thought? Or are you done? No, you're done. I think, I, I think oh. I've got it all covered. Okay. All right. Well, folks, listen. You know, it really comes down to putting things in perspective as a Christian. Amy, thanks for being with us today. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Julie, thank you for being with us. Appreciate that as well. Thank you. So, folks, for Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, and, and Julie and Amy, it's about understanding things through the eyes of godliness, through the eyes of faith, through the eyes that look at life and say, there's a higher way to do it. I'm obligated. I am privileged to act in that higher way. Never go down those roads because those roads are roads of destruction, roads of perdition, roads of damage to yourselves and to others. You can ruin others' lives. As Christians, we cannot, cannot go there. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, the Bible teaches us how to conquer those kinds of things. Think about it. Folks, listen, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher. Whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, how do I relight the fire of my Christian faith? Talk to you then. <laughs>